Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. Coming up to one minute past nine, you are tuned to 102.73 Triple R. Maybe listening via rrr.org.au. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. Good morning. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Cade Mills. Hi, Cade. I'm doing extremely well, Bron. It's beautiful out there this morning. It is. So lots of people out running and there'll be people out walking and yesterday I finally made a visit to the beach for my um, mental health to get near the water and there's people everywhere. Um, (laughs) Most of them practicing social distancing, which was good to see. Good. But it's just good to see people out and about. I think it sort of you know, lifts the spirits a hell of a lot. It does. Mm. Hey, we're social distancing or physical distancing. <laughs> we sure are. Sure are. It's kind of like looking in a um, mirror, but a better version of myself because <laughs> I'm behind the panel and Kent's behind the other panel and I'm looking pretty good. And we're <laughs> looking through um, <laughs> two sheets of glass and... <laughs> Anyway, we're in separate studios is what we're trying to say, but um, it's all good. It works. This is what we're doing, you know. It's it's extraordinary what we what we can do when we need to. Speaking of which, thank you, Tim, very much for uh, three hours of Vital Bits, following three hours of Vital Bits yesterday. And uh, thank you, Andrew, Retro Andrew with Retro Soulful Bits. Yeah, with the old great. Crow Medicine Show. Yeah. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed that on the way in. And um, I always appreciate Tim because particularly during these times, it's like breakfasters, 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 breakfasters. Tim, oh, must be the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how I gauge my week. It's, it's always nice to hear Tim to know I can relax and not work for a couple of days. Yeah, <laughs> only those couple of days. All right, um, today's program, we, we've got something for everyone, as we always do. We've kind of hit, the, hit the, our eclectic strides this week. So we're um, kicking off um, by actually crossing over to Perth to speak with Dr. Mark Meakin. It's going to be um, just after 10 past 7 in the morning over there um, about really fascinating research. It's actually um, a bit of validation study that they've been doing and this is about ageing uh, whale sharks. So a couple of weeks ago we spoke with um, a PhD candidate in Perth about um, techniques that she's using to age humpback whales using drones and getting an, an assessment of length and girth and, and making some estimations. This is more about making uh, making the most of um, whale sharks which have died and unlike bony fish long established practice of using their little ear bones called otoliths they lay down rings in the same way that trees do so it's kind of fairly um, straightforward to measure an age of a, of a bony fish but cartilaginous fish are a little bit different and so the jury's been out about how reliable techniques have been to uh, to estimate the age of, um, of cartilaginous fish so your, sh- your sharks, your rays and whale sharks in particular and quite a critical thing in terms of um, getting some good estimates of their population uh, ecology, their dynamics, um, how many there are, what their age structures are. Anyway, there's been a new technique which has uh, been um, validated and we're going to be speaking with Mark, Me- Mark Meakin about that. I, I'm just looking forward to it. I've actually uh, seen this work being done before with various fish as far as ageing using the um, 
carbon-14 isotope, which we won't go into now. We'll let Mark explain how all that works and how from bad things, good information can be gained. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the real kicker to this. It's actually, uh, it's it's yeah, we'll leave it for yeah, the segment. Leave them yeah. hanging. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are then going to uh, cross uh, to speak with Dave Donnelly from Killer Whales Australia and the Dolphin Research Institute. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, about the first uh, humpback whale sighting of 2020, which is exciting. Woo-hoo. Yeah, um, and uh, this sort of kicks whale uh, watching off for 2020 season, um, which is good timing given that we can now leave our homes and and go and look for whales. And it's a pretty good social distancing activity. You can sit on a headland with some binoculars all by yourself or with someone a couple of metres away, and away you go. That's it. Uh, then we're going to speak with artist and surfer Henry Jock Walker. This is interesting, Cade, in you know all the years that we've been doing Radio Marinara. Every, we come across some really interesting stories sometimes and this is a really interesting one. Um, Henry Jock Walker is an artist. He's also a surfer and he's managed to combine his passions in more ways than one. And, you know, from time to time we've touched on the that connection between um, the, the marine environment and the arts and particularly literature and, and art as well, painting and, and drawing and so on. But um, Henry's taken it to next level. <laughs> so we're going to be speaking with him about this. Um, and an online session that you can be part of this coming Thursday um, via the substation's In Focus series. Yeah, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole looking at his stuff last night and it just brought me joy. It was so joyful, so colourful and just such a celebration of just, I guess, life and the water. So really looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, pretty cool. And speaking of pretty cool, Jeff Maynard is going to be with us via Skype, um, bringing us Soundwave Saves the World Again. And uh, this week, this is from um, text that Jeff sent me, we're going to address the elephant in the semi-locked down room and find a way forward through 1950s movies and sea monsters. I thought the laugh track here when we last had him on was the solution <laughs> to the right. coronavirus lockdown. Uh, I've had more comments on that particular segment than I think I have on any other one where people were just like, I loved it. I it was pretty need cool. more laugh track in my life. Yeah, Canned laughter. Yeah. Um, all right. As we always do at this time of our program, we might have a little uh, look at what our weather forecasting suggests we might be in for over the next few days. Do you have that there, Cade? I do. The next couple of days are going to be fantastic. Like I said this morning, there's not going to be much wind around for the whole day, like sort of northerly, so it's going to be good if you're down on the beach there. Uh, top of 17, uh, going to be repeated again on Monday with some northerlies, top of seven, uh, 19. Stronger northerlies on Tuesday, again 19, a little bit of rain around and then the wind's going to turn on us, sort of going to go more westerly on Wednesday and we're starting to sort of get into, I guess, more winter type weather where we're looking at 15, 15 Wednesday, 14 on Thursday, um, back down to up to 15 on Friday and Saturday. But sort of a bit windy in the middle of the week but otherwise quite nice. The surf report is there's nice little bit of swell around at the moment uh plenty of places will be available to surf so if there's lots of people in the car park just keep on moving you'll be able to find a good option where you can social distance out in the water um and get out amongst it if you can make the most of it awesome so make most of the next three days definitely yeah if you can take tomorrow off work um not that you know sometimes it's hard for your boss to check in on you really uh (laughs) I'd be getting out in the water then. You can always go for a walk at lunchtime. You can, yes. Or whenever works for you. Yes. A um, couple of quick things. Uh, we had a call before the program. Kit from Blegowry. Um, big shout out to Kit. Uh, Kit is an ab diver and he wanted to draw our attention to a documentary that he came across on Radio National 
uh, last night at 7 o'clock about the uh, Ama Japanese um, women abalone divers and he said it was absolutely fabulous. Do you know about this? I have. Um, I've read stuff about them and read articles about them before. It's, it's phenomenal. I'm pretty sure there was a book written a couple of years ago. Uh, there may this. have been another documentary as well yeah. about this. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Kit, for the call and for bringing that to our attention and uh, to your attention out there. And um, uh, I'll, I'll chase that one up. I'm sure you'll be able to um, come across it via uh, an on-demand service that they have or, um, or podcasting, but we'll check that one out as well. So thanks for the call. Uh, a couple of other quick things. Have you got anything there, Kate? Just a quick one. It's basically a bit of a celebration. Divers, boaters, fishers are all back out on the water now. Um, you know, as of what was it midnight on Tuesday, they sort of loosened up the reins a little bit and sort of allowed people out there, which it's been great to see. It's been, I think, for everyone's mental health, it was starting to get a bit frayed around the edges um, after I think it was about six weeks of not sort of having access to the coast. So goes to show how much you miss something when you don't have access to it and it goes to show how much it becomes part of your life without you realizing that you sort of you know you navigate your life around these things so that's been great news and that sort of leads to I guess a plug for a new podcast that Triple R have been doing called Shrink the Shrink the Virus which is hosted by Dr Doodle and Dr Malpractice from Radiotherapy who'll be up next um, it's basically about discussing the psychology behind aspects of the coronavirus and like I think all good Triple R shows it's kind of like you're overhearing a conversation between two really smart people in the pub yeah. and you just sit there eavesdropping you're like oh this is fascinating <laughs> I want to know more and the people they get on are amazing and so I just wanted to have this is a quick highlight for me so they had Catherine Devaney on a couple of podcasts ago and they were talking about um, terms that are coming out of the podcast so Quentin Quarantino was one which is about someone who's making films while they're stuck in quarantine <laughs> right. the Corona Groaners who moan every time about what they're going through the Corona Stoners who have resorted to taking drugs to get himself through the Corona Loners are those that have lost their job and need a loan the Corona Moaners which are those that are having sex or masturbating a lot during this and the Corona Boners they're the ones who get excited by it. So that's just a handful of the terms to come out and it's a bit of a taste of the discussion you're going to get on the podcast. Uh, Dr. Mal and Dr. Doolittle, as always, dishing it up. Yes, shrink the virus. Look it up on Triple R and, and all and, your services. And nice to have them in the same airspace at the same time because usually with radiotherapy, they're on different programs and so fabulous having having conversation between two of um, Triple R's longest-serving broadcasters with radiotherapy. Yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so good. Um, I'm going to do a couple of very, very quick plugs and then we're going to play a track. One is um, Winter by the Sea, which we announced last week, Kate, as a, uh, a big announcement. <laughs> we announced it as a big announcement. It was a big announcement. Um, so that kicks off this week and on uh, the 19th of May uh, in two days' time, so that would be Tuesday, uh, is their first, um, uh, we'll call it an episode or, or um, event, in the speaker's tent. So this is uh, um, where some expert volunteers and scientists take people through a fortnightly deep dive along Victoria's coast with live presentations and a chance to ask your questions. So it's an interactive session from 4.30 till 5.15. So um, sort of at the end of the working day and uh, for those of you out there who need to get into the whole dinner routine at a particular time, it sort of will enable you to watch that too. Um, so this is Sharks and Rays of Point Cook Marine Sanctuary um, um, with Andrew Christie leading the way. You're nodding. I turned my mic down because oh. I saw that we're getting close to track time. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but yes, Andrew knows a hell of a lot about that area, probably more than anyone. So tune in and find out about that. It's quite surprising too. It's um, very much an all or nothing type of place, Point Cook. Yeah, cool. And um, we've already put a link to that on our Facebook page so you can go and find that one out. Um, another one to mention, and this is tonight, very exciting, from uh, 6 o'clock until 7 o'clock, Phillip Island's live penguin parade. So you can actually watch the penguins as they come into Phillip Island live tonight. Um, pretty easy to find. Um, you can go to, uh, where is it? I'm it's easy to find now. I can't find it. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page too, Kate. I think if you um, if you were to search Penguin Parade Live Phillip Island and put today's date in, you'll come across it. I don't want to give you the wrong address. But good stuff. <laughs> Wonderful. It's uh, 16 minutes past nine coming up to 17 past nine. You are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Now, while techniques to age bony fish have been long established, aging their cartilaginous cousins, and particularly whale sharks, has been a little less straightforward. Fish with a cartilage skeleton lack the bony ear structures called otoliths, used by fish scientists to determine a fish's age. And while the vertebrae of whale sharks has been used as an alternative ageing tool, the jury's been out in terms of how reliable they are. Well, thanks to, believe it or not, nuclear testing of the 1950s and 60s, ageing a whale shark has suddenly become a lot more reliable. To find out what this is all about, we're now crossing to Perth to speak with Dr Mark Meakin from the Australian Institute of Marine Sciences about this extraordinary radioactive legacy of the Cold War's nuclear arms race. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for joining us and welcome to Triple R. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, good morning to you both. And thanks for getting up so early for good us night. too. Uh, not a problem. <laughs> now, uh, to a very basic question, but it's important to set the scene, I think. Why is it important for us to be able to age whale sharks? Oh, well, look, you know, apart from being, you know, absolutely beautiful animals, I mean, these are spectacular animals to swim with, um, they're, they're an important part of the world's ecosystems, but they're really an also and a very important part of local economies in many places around the world. So if, if you go to Ningaloo, for example, um, whale sharks here are worth $15 million a year to the local economy of, uh, of Exmouth. And in small countries like, uh, say, for instance, Indonesia and uh, the Philippines, tourism with whale sharks has raised thousands of people out of poverty. So it's important to know something about their ecology and something about how we treat them and, our, and whether or not our conservation strategies for them are working. And the key to that is knowing something about their age. Yeah, definitely. Do you think it would be um, too far to suggest that maybe the whale shark is the uh, is the emblem of the animal emblem of Western Australia? I think. When oh we... no, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is the marine emblem, I believe. But um, yeah, look, it's 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 an iconic species. It captures everyone's imagination, and it's easy to see why. Look, put yourself out the front of Ningaloo Reef. You're on a snorkeling trip with one of the tour operators there. You're sitting out the front of the reef. It's deep water. You can't see the bottom below you. It's sort of an inky blue. And you look out towards the horizon and you see this enormous shark shape coming towards you. And as it sort of gently progresses towards you, it looms bigger and bigger. You start to see the spot and stripe patterns on its, on its back. They're beautiful animals. The sunlight's reflecting on its surface and it's sort of shimmering, if you like. 
and then its tail comes past you. It's, it's wafting this giant tail and moving along, just gently passing by you. Uh, an absolutely incredible experience, and, and one that's rated as one of the you know, world's top wildlife experiences for very good reason. Yeah, you've got Kate and me sitting here almost salivating at the idea of that, <laughs> Mark. And um, last year we had Judith Lucy on our program, and um, and she described her experience with, um, with spotting a whale shark when she went out with um, Tim Winton, and it's very, very similar to what you've just described, and she came back a changed woman from the experience. Um, so, yes, I completely understand. <laughs> Um, so what do we currently know about whale sharks in Australian waters? What, what, what do we know about their population, their distribution, those sorts of factors? Well, look, you know, um, we regularly see somewhere around 500 whale sharks at Ningaloo. That's part of a smaller population that's spread um, out into the Timor Sea and the open Indian Ocean. Probably a few thousand animals out there. The whale sharks at Ningaloo turn up every year from about sort of February through on to June. And, uh, and they hang out at Ningaloo where there's a big food pulse going on, these small shrimp-like animals called krill. So whale sharks are there to feed. Then they migrate away out into the open ocean, out into waters as far away as uh, Indonesia and up into the, the Coral Sea, um, sorry, into the Coral Triangle. And uh, there they're subject to potential threats. Um, these animals spend about 90% of their day basking in the sun on the ocean surface, and that means that they're very susceptible to uh, things like ship strike. In fact, some of the first sharks we ever we ever found in, in terms of the scientific record were sharks that were, came back to uh, shore, came back to port, strung across the bows of steamers when the steamers first appeared on the world's oceans. So these animals, and, and there's also a, a threat to hunting. In places like China, there's a market for uh, whale shark meat. It cooks up to about the consistency of tofu, so they're called tofu fish. And of course, the fins and the skin and the oil from their livers are all valuable commodities. So there are threats out there for these uh, for these big animals too. Now you mentioned that there's a small the population that comes into Western Australia and then it does that travel. Is is it one large population the whale sharks, or are there many sort of subpopulations spread throughout the globe? Well, the thing is, um, we don't we're not really sure of the answer to that information. Whale sharks occur globally, every tropical ocean around the world, Caribbean, right through the Indo-Pacific. We all have whale sharks in our waters. And if we look at the genetics of those, it says it's just one big population, that they all share the same genetics. There are differences. The population in the Caribbean is sort of different from the population in the Indo-Pacific. But, you know, these are very long-lived animals. They have Potentially, they have um, slow rates of turnover, and the issue is that um, it only takes one migrant per generation uh, in a whale shark to, to actually mix the genetics completely. So on an ecological scale, on a management scale, we're not really sure if we've got separate little populations going on or not. Um, the likelihood is that we, we certainly do. And so I guess that leads to the paper and the idea of being able to get that age um, known for the different populations. Um, where, I guess, where did the samples come from for this one? Well, poor old whale sharks. You know, if you if you take a vertebrae out of a whale shark and you slice it in half, it has rings inside it and it looks just like a tree, right? You know, the bands inside a tree, you count the growth bands, you get the age. Exactly the same inside whale sharks. Now, the problem is, of course, that um, we're not sure at what rate those bands are laid down. So it could be five times a year or it could be once every 10 years. 
So you're not really sure if those are actually annual bands or not. Now, knowing how fast those sharks are growing, you've got to get the, if you get the age and you get the size, you get a growth rate, and that growth rate is critical to conservation. So knowing something definite about the age is critical to conservation. That's because if you're a slow-growing animal, you have very little resilience to the, some of the threats I've talked about before that might be happening to populations. You're slow to grow, slow to get to maturity, slow to replace yourself. If you're a fast-growing animal, you can, you're much more resilient to threats. And that's where this research is really important, isn't it? Because the whole question about the, the um, ambiguity about the various testing methods is something that you've managed to confirm with this research. And by the way, congratulations with your work. It's now been published in Frontiers in Marine Science. And um, kudos to your co-authors as well. I was reading through where they're from um, all over the globe, it seems, US, Saudi Arabia, <laughs> Pakistan, Iceland. Amazing. Yep. Yep, yep. And look, you know, that's, that's science at the moment, isn't it? Um, you know, everyone collaborates together and they make uh, much stronger studies. And, and these are all, you know, long-term collaborators um, we've been working with. Uh, Joyce Ong and Rutgers University and Steve Campana and the University of Iceland. Everybody's, everybody's had a technique. Everybody's had a skill. We've all contributed to, to making, you know, the, the answer to this really interesting question. Yeah, it's fantastic. So let's talk about um, bomb radiocarbon assays, which I mentioned at the start. And, you know, and as, as uh, it's been pointed out, an extraordinary radioactive legacy of the Cold War's nuclear arm ra- arms race. Can you talk us through all of that and how that connection to whale sharks has happened? Sure. Look, it's an extraordinary thing to think that one of the most violent acts we've ever done on the planet helps one of the world's most placid sharks, isn't it? Funny, funny old thought, really. Um, <laughs> look, we had a whale shark, you know, um, we got some vertebrae um, from sharks that were stranded. One in Pakistan in, uh, in 2012, which was where our Pakistani collaborator comes in, and some others from a fishery in Taiwan that's since been closed. And uh, we cut those open, we looked at the band patterns, and, but we still didn't know at what interval those bands are being laid down. Now, what, ha- we, what happens is we actually found a time marker, and that time marker is the, is, came from the explosion of those nuclear bombs. What happened is that, is that when a bomb explodes, it's, it saturated the atmosphere with a type of carbon called carbon-14, an isotope. Now, that carbon, that isotope occurs naturally. We take it, every living thing takes it into their bodies all the time, but there was just a huge amount of it put into the atmosphere that quickly went into the oceans, and then anything living in the oceans, of course, took that peak in the carbon up in their bodies. So when we look back inside the vertebrae, we can actually look for that peak in carbon. And since we know the date when the animal was collected, we just have to count the number of bands and see if they match. And of course, that animal was collected in, uh, t- in 2012, and 50 years earlier, that peak in carbon was present in the uh, in the vertebrae of the animal. So we knew the animal was 50 years old. Bingo, we validated the age of the animals. And so we know now that those bands are laid down on an annual basis. It's such a eureka moment, isn't it? Because it but being able to put this to bed now has enormous flow-on effects for the ability of, um, of scientists like yourself to be able to estimate the age of whale sharks and then extrapolate to that all sorts of things around population dynamics and, and to project future modelling of where those um, dynamics might go. Well, look, it's most important for the conservation of these things. If, you know, we've, we've shown this animal's 10 metres long, the one that's stranded in Pakistan, right? Now, that's, that's a big animal. Imagine seeing that underwater. But, but hey... 
That's only roughly half the size that these animals get to. They get up to 18 metres long. That's as big as a bendy bus. Imagine one of those coming at you underwater, right? So, so it's, you know, and we've, we've predicted that maybe these things could get as, as old as 100 years, but it certainly seems much more likely. Now we know that, you know, a fish shark 10 metres long is 50 years old. Something 18 metres long could easily be double that age. So, yeah, very important, and very important to know we're dealing with a slow-growing animal, uh, the one that probably can't take an awful lot of uh, threats from humans and an awful lot of added pressure from things like fishing, something that we've got to be very cognizant of, very aware of when we go and, and make conservation programs. And like I said before, when you're, when you're talking the conservation of these animals, you're not just talking a great animal of iconic species, you're also talking about the livelihoods of many thousands of people, particularly in developing countries around the tropics. Mark, it's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you. Um, what's next for you and your research? Uh, well, we're a little bit hamstrung at the moment, believe it or not, <laughs> with COVID-19, of course. Yes. But we're hoping to get back out in the field, maybe in late June, to get up and do our annual work out there in, um, in, in Ningaloo. And look, I have to tell you, you know, thousands of times I've dived with whale sharks. It's never got old. It's, it's still a fantastic experience, and we're very hopeful that we'll be able to continue our research. We have ongoing genetic programs, programs that look at the, more at, at, uh, at um, growth and behaviour of these animals at Ningaloo, and we really hope that we can keep those things going uh, this year as well. Fantastic. Keep your eye out for Judith Lucy, because I reckon she'll be out there the first uh, chance she gets as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say hi for you. Yeah, please do. <laughs> and I think you've made all the listeners jealous. <laughs> Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks so much for speaking with us, Mark. Have a great day. And um, we look forward to catching up with you again um, about some of this great research that you're doing into whale sharks. Good to chat to you both. Have a great day. Thanks, Bye. YouTube. Bye for now. Uh, Dr. Mark Megan there from the Australian Institute of Marine Science. Awesome. Wonderful stuff. Yeah. Um, that paper is actually available online. We will put a link to that on our Facebook page. Um, you can read it for yourself. It gets a bit mathy in the, um, if you're right into your maths and you're predictive modelling, then you'll love it. There's also an article in the conversation which explains it a little bit clearer, but I could actually get Mark to... Um I could get Mark to use his description of swimming with a whale shark to put me to sleep every night. That was just beautiful. <laughs> it was lovely, wasn't it? <laughs> it was beautiful. We're now crossing to speak with uh, Dave Donnelly, who's on the phone and ready to report something very exciting for us all. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Bron, and good morning, Cade. Oh, you there, Cade? What's going on out there, Dave? Oh, you know, no, it's keeping, keeping quiet, keeping quiet, but we're very, very excited. Uh, we've had our first whale sighting of the humpback whale season for the Yay. two bays region. Hey. Um, whereabouts? Uh, this was off uh, 16th Beach or number 16 Beach on the Mornington Peninsula. Uh, very late last evening, um, we got a report from Mandy uh, Robertson from the Dolphin Research Institute and was later confirmed with some photos. And in as soon as you put that information out there, people like the, the wonderful uh, crew of Red, Red Boats ring and report their, uh, their sighting at 10.20 that morning at the heads. So the same animal? Uh, probably not, but oh. um, no way of knowing, unfortunately. But we've put them both in and uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. But that is our very first sighting of the season. It's a, on the early edge, but it's uh, well within the, uh, the normality of the season-to-season the season behaviour of these animals. Yeah, I was just wondering about May. It does seem a little bit early, but, um, but that's great. Really exciting. So It is. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been doing since we last spoke with you and now? 
Uh, well, yeah, I've been, been a little bit busy doing a, a few different bits and pieces, but uh, not a lot in the whale department. Everything's been pretty quiet due to the uh, COVID effect. Um, but, um, you yeah, know, it's allowed us some time to do some uh, report writing and analysis, and we've uh, just put out our Two Bays Whale Project report for 2019. That came out last week, and it can be downloaded at our Facebook page. Uh, and that's uh, absolutely um, open access to anybody who'd like to read it or use the information inside it. That's great. What we might do is we'll get you on um, uh, another time and uh, talk more about that. That would be really good. Ab- absolutely. And if people are interested to, to hear a little bit more about the season coming forward, we'll be uh, speaking at the Speaker's Tent as part of the uh, Host Care series that Mark was talking about last week on the 16th of June. So uh, please do tune into that, uh, Winter by the Sea, that is. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? What have you got in store for people who want to tune in for that one? I think what we're going to do there is we're just going to focus around the uh, the large whale movements around the Victorian coast and particularly around um, the Port Phillip region. We've got also Mandy Watson speaking about southern right whales later in the series, so we'll leave that door open for her and uh, we'll just give everybody a bit of a lowdown on what's going on and hopefully by then we'll have some more information on what the whales are up to along our coast. That's awesome. Hey, uh, we'll have to move on, but thanks so much for reporting in on that humpback whale. That's uh, fantastic. And um, we'll catch up with you in the next couple of weeks about the report and uh, and what's coming up. Absolutely. Looking, looking forward to it. Stay safe, guys. Thanks. Cheers, Dave. Cheers, Dave. Catch you soon. Yeah. Bye for now. <sighs> Cade. We had a bit of trouble getting Henry Jock Walker on the phone. He's we, not there. We did, and I have a feeling. I did say he <laughs> might have been based in Thoreau. Um, and I've just checked the surf report there. <laughs> and it's, a, it's a few foot and quite good. So there's every chance he might have um, got distracted out in the water. Yeah, because his phone's ringing a couple of times then going to voicemail. So you reckon he might be out having a surf? I reckon you might be right. Yeah. So one of the things I actually wanted him to talk about, but I'll talk about it myself, is tarp surfing. So this is something... Tarp surfing. Tarp surfing. Okay. And so this was something that's it's been around for, well... I've seen it quite a few years ago, but this is something I think would be an awesome isolation activity, as long as there's two of you. You basically get a tarp, um, peg down one corner, lay it out flat, roll across on your skateboard, lift up one corner. It basically forms like a curl of a wave as you're lifting it up and you skate through it. So it's basically (laughs) like getting barreled on dry land. Yeah, right. So he had some really good footage of doing this with local kids out in a skate park and them really getting into it and having a great old time. But it's... um, no, if you're home, you're missing the water and you can't quite get down there, you can always do a bit of tarp surfing in your backyard. The footage looks amazing too. You can make it look quite fun. So where have you seen the footage? Uh, just online on YouTube. It was okay. actually Jock had some. I think it might have been in Wollongong or an area like that. Yep. Um, he was doing it with just some of the local kids. Um, but, yeah, you can do it in your backyard as long as you've got a bit enough concrete there. It'll be good to Good to go. Excellent. I'm going to do a little plug for this event, which we were going to talk with um, with Henry Jock Walker about. And this is the substation. They've got an online series. As, as with many um, live venues that obviously have really been hit hard by, um, by this pandemic, what the substation are doing are presenting some online interactive sessions. I saw Rock Quiz live last night, by the way. Oh, wow. Totally just, you know, heading off onto a different tangent, um, which was wonderful. Brian Nankervis and he had on um, Vicar and Linda Bull and then crossed over to speak with um, Tex Perkins who sang the theme from Gilligan's Island. So that kind of made my week. I thought that was wonderful. <laughs> you should have pirated it and brought it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, only, it was late.
late last night, well, sort of, you know, early evening last night. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'll have to try and get a, a recording of it because it, it was wonderful. Um, anyway, so Substation are doing something similar. They've got a uh, series called In Focus, which kicks off this week. And so Henry Jock Walker is going to be the first um, presenter of this particular series. And you can take part in it. It's free, I think. Um, go to Eventbrite. Um, and uh, if you just um, put in Henry Scott, uh, Henry Jock Walker in the search um, tool, you'll be able to find it. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page as well. Um, so this will be Henry Jock Walker in conversation with the substation's artistic director, Brad Spaulding. So, yeah, look forward to that. He was actually also going to be doing a, um, uh, a, an, a session as part of um, the Ocean Film Fest uh, – sorry, Ocean Festival – in St Kilda, it was at the ESPY in March and that all sort of suddenly got shut down overnight also because of um, everything else that was shut down. But this is um, part of the Ocean Festival of Contemporary Ocean Art and uh, hopefully that one will kick off again. He was going to talk about how you paint and surf at the same time. We'll line Henry Jock Walker up again, I think, to talk about this stuff because it's pretty cool. Yeah, and look, he seems like quite a nomadic type of person. I think he sort of travels around in his van, so there's every chance he will be back down around here once once he's allowed to be. That's it. A couple of other quick things we thought we might mention, given we've got some time. Um, This is very exciting. This is very exciting. So you had Don Love on last weekend. He's probably one of my favourite salty sea dogs going around in Victoria. He's an absolute character and... Very straight talking, as you would have noticed when having him on the show. doesn't mince words. And so dedicated and devoted, spending his entire life doing things to better the marine environment and our appreciation of it. And I think he comes from a genuine place in then, like Ron and Val Taylor were similar in that they actually spent a lot of their sort of younger years out there spearfishing, exploiting, collecting, hunting, gathering, and then seeing the damage that was having from activities that they were doing they sort of flipped that around and actually became really strong advocates for conserving and looking after. So they've actually seen it, they've experienced and being part of it. And Don sort of fits into that. And so now instead of collecting things, he takes a lot of photos, a huge amount. So he's actually been able to put them all together for a diver's guide for Port Phillip Heads. Um, I've seen a, a PDF getting shared around online. So I will get a copy of that and send it through so that Radio Marinara can p- put it up. It's a beautiful guide, uh, lots of great um Lots of great images of what you're going to see out there, but also an, an idea of where to go diving when you're there. So congratulations to Don for lots of hard work in putting that one together. And that will be available um, to pick up at no cost once stations start to open up it again. It will be, yeah. So it was all um, printed and published and is basically freely available for people once we can sort of, you know, congregate somewhere or <laughs> to, to pick up a copy yeah or perhaps even um yeah maybe try and hunt down don or parks victoria mark's likely to have a few copies that he's sitting on <laughs> poor mark he's gonna get a stampede of people now i'm sure it's a good problem to it have. is it is a good yeah, problem to have we, we've got a great audience oh look that'll be nice to him yeah you're listening to radio marinara and i hope you enjoyed that track that was dolphin blues by the shivers uh Shiver me timbers. I'm trying to find a link there. Didn't really work, did it? Jeff Maynard, good morning. Oh, Jeff, are you there? Yes, I am. Ah, great to have you with us. Are you there? Yes, I am. Excellent. (laughs) Hey, welcome back. Hopefully not too long before we have you in studio again. I I miss the studio, Brian. I really am. I didn't think I would, but... I miss all the little things, like you know, the the, the cheap powdered coffee in in the kitchen at Triple R, and the, you know, the, the the lumpy op shop couch in the green room, and 
you know, getting a, getting the chair with the sort of leaky pneumatic thing in the middle so you sink during your segment while you're talking. I kind of, I, kind of miss, I just miss it all. So it's like, yeah, I, I want to get back. But anyway... You we have to soldier on. Yeah, so you, we'll okay. you forgot about the headphones held together by gaffer tape. Oh, well, yeah, I actually like them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got my headphones at home, put gaffer tape on just so I feel like I was sort of, <laughs> sort of part of the gang still, you know. <laughs> anyway, Soundwave saves the world. Yes. And it, it's sort of funny because we started the year intending to have 1950s drive-in movies show how mad scientists could confront issues like global warming and things like that. But, you know, the whole 2020 took a right-hand turn with COVID-19 and really moved the goalposts. So so now we're using 1950s to uh, movies, drive-in movies, to to help people through these times. uh, And um, this this week I want to talk about another sort of side issue. We've talked about um, self-distancing and staying at home and all that sort of stuff. But I want to talk about people's mental health um, because there's a sort of undercurrent of, of you know, pe- people, a lot of people are struggling with the mental health issues that are coming out of just the change to their life, uh, the kind of threat that they face. So I've dived into the 1950s movies and I think there are some answers here, Bron. So, um, and it's basically finding strategies to help people uh, get through a difficult time. And uh, one of the first strategies, I think, is to remember that whatever's kind of going on, uh, other people have been through this before us. Uh, there were times in times in the past where other people have been through it before us. And now the first track I'm going to play is from an old movie. And in this old movie, there's a um, there's an outbreak of a um, of some sort of uh, bug. And the U.S. president is ignoring the scientists for political reasons and uh, just trying to get on with it. So let's play track number one. Has the president made his decision on Directive 712 yet? The president's decided to postpone Directive 712 for 24 to 48 hours. He doesn't jump into things, Dr. Robertson. Instead, he'll call out the National Guard to cordon off the area around Piedmont. That's your department, Ed. The president's main concern is the international consequences. That'll take hours. God knows how far the infection can spread in that time. It should have been left up to the scientists. It's a colossal mistake. Tell the president I said so. It's a colossal uh, mistake. It's a colossal mistake, and they should, he should have listened to the scientists. But anyway, people have been through this kind of stuff before, and... Um, and, and uh, you know, obviously in Australia, we're obviously in a probably better position than many countries and we're starting to, um, you know, uh, end the stages in, in, for our lockdowns and things. Um, but you know, people have to understand this is probably not the first time. Now, the next movie or the next strategy is um, uh, this, this, this movie set... Hang on, I'm trying to find my notes here. I'm sort of looking out the window. <laughs> Um, I'm distracted. It's being distracted at home too. There's nothing to look at. It's at Triple R, so you have to look. Oh, here we go. This this movie's set in a little seaside town where a sea monster keeps coming out of the water uh, and walking up the beach, and it's a big sort of scaly, rubbery-looking thing. And it's attracted to um, young women who like to go sunbathing on the beach at night alone. And this <laughs> it's sort of. It's, and it walks up out of the water. They see it. They scream. It sort of bonks them on the head with its with its 
you claw thing, uh, they fall down and it walks back in the water. And this seems to happen a lot in the 1950s driving movies. Anyway, a couple of the locals find a fish scale off this thing and they put it under their microscope and they're trying to figure out what this, this big um, sort of sea monster is. So let's have a listen to track number two. What is a diplovertebron? It's a prehistoric amphibious reptile thought to be extinct. Fossilized specimens have been found about 100 miles north of here. But this is living tissue. Well, that's about it until we can make positive identification one way or another. Even then, it may not help. Uh, I can't do any good here. I might as well get back to the cafe. You two scientists have been dipping that thing in the solution for the last hour. Looking at it this way and that, now what is it? Our good constable doesn't seem to realize that scientific investigation is a slow and tedious process. Huh? Sometimes taking years. <laughs> oh, fine. We haven't even got days. <gasps> oh, so yeah, yeah. Good science takes time, and people need to realise that. You have to, you have to trust the science and and let it do its job. There's no quick fix solutions, and um, from, from from whatever movie that was. Um, <laughs> now, now the third the third sort of strategy for getting us through all this, and and Cade hit upon it on the opening, and and I've had a lot of um. I've had a lot of comments and text messages from the last segment. We, <laughs> we stuck a laugh track, and I thought, well, maybe we do need more laugh tracks. So what I've done is I found a trailer for um, the same movie we just heard, actually. And this was so scary. This had people running out of the theatres. You know, it was just such a scary movie in the 1950s. Uh, and about half, and, and try not to be scared in the first half because it is, you know, little kids at home, it is scary. But halfway through it, I stick in a laugh track and see how your mood changes when you listen to this. <laughs> let's, let's have a go with track number three, Bron. The world's most shocking monster feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy eye. The screen's most nightmarish beast. <laughs> a claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such a terror drawn by love to the forbidden cove of the sea monster. See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all. Oh, that's genius, Jeff. <laughs> Isn't laughter infectious? <laughs> yeah, it is, and, and can't it just change the context of anything? It does, it does. So I, I think I think we just need, you know, as I said the other time, we, we you know, just, just start pumping out the laugh track during the day and, <laughs> it, and it really will work, you know, especially behind some of the... Um, some of the things you see on the television news. Um, where am I? Hang on, I'm looking at my notes again. Think, oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, go on, Brian. I was, gonna, got I was just going to say, I think we need to have a, um, a, a, a personal laugh track just on hand every time we see any sort of political grandstanding going on. I, that would be that would really work. I think. I think that really would be helpful. Yeah. Um, and anyway, uh, strategy number four is to say. Um, uh, and this is sort of the elephant in the room with the whole drive-in movie thing that I've been presenting this year, um, is, is to find a new way forward. But to out of out of whatever change is going on now, is to uh, create an opportunity. Yes, you know, and it is difficult, and there's been a lot of tragedy and um, and illness and and change to people's life. But to actually find the way forward. So have and. and the elephant in the room, of course, is driving movies themselves. So let's play track number four and I'll explain the idea. 
Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. Did you fail to dress up for tonight's show? No tie, an old shirt and slacks, a house dress? Well, don't give it a thought. We're glad you came as you are. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. Don't forget to visit our refreshment center during the intermission or any time. There are always wonderful new pictures to see, delightful snacks to nibble, a gay, pleasant evening for all. We hope you have a wonderful time. Come back soon. Aww. Aww. Yeah, see, yeah. social distancing. I think drive-ins have to make a comeback. I think they can, are. Uh, they, they probably are. We've got the one out at um, uh, uh, Coburg, and I'm sure it's, it's you know showing movies and doing good business. But, you know, we might just be able to get some sort of... Um, Social distancing driving comeback. Maybe we use, you know, car parks at shopping centres or something at night when they're not busy and everyone parks there and looks at a big screen and and streams the audio into their car and things. But um, it will be a different world on the other side of this and hope, hopefully uh, we've got the brains to make it a better one. I hope so too, Jeff. And um, with your input, that's almost guaranteed. Oh, I don't think I'm the right person. <laughs> I'm probably not the right person to advise anybody on mental health. Right? Oh, no, I, I think you are, Jeff. You've gone through the gauntlet. You've gone, don't trust politicians. You've advocated for science that it takes time. Laughter will solve everything. And social distancing and entertaining yourself at the same time. Like I think you've taken us on an emotional journey. I might just pat myself on the back here. <laughs> yeah, I reckon that needs to be our four-step plan. Uh, Hey, thanks, Jeff. It's been my work here is done. Your work, and hopefully, um, when we have you back in, hopefully it will be back in in um, about four weeks' time, and we'll um, have the great joy of having you back in studio. I'm looking forward to it, Ron. So wait. (laughs) I downloaded an app. Oh, that was you. (laughs) Oh, sounds like someone's at the door. All right, we'll um, we'll leave you to it. Thanks, Jeff. Catch you soon. Hey guys. Bye for now. And uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of Radio Marinara for um, another episode. Whoop, we lost him, as we needed to do. Thanks, Kate. That was a most joyful time. Thank you, Bron. I loved it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kent. Um, and uh, Kent may be back in studio with his alter, as his alter ego panel beater, along with uh, Neonatal and Dr. Sharma coming up with radiotherapy. Thanks to our other guests today, uh, Dave Donnelly reporting on our first killer whale sighting of 2020 and Dr. Mark Meekin in Perth um, talking about ageing techniques for whale sharks. On our program next week, FUM will be in. We'll be catching up with Dallas De Silva from the Victorian Fisheries Authority about spider crab. Are they around? Are they around? Some say yes, some say not yet. We'll um, we'll clarify that next week. Um, Joe Kelly's going to be joining us from the Australian Seaweed Institute as well, talking about a new market for locally produced um, seaweed species. And we'll have Brett Ditchfield with Cabin Boy Diaries, massive show planned next week. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.